I think the most nuanced part of the debate is within the pro-choice community, like pro-choice versus reproductive justice, which are cousins, but two different things. As it's going to, I think, challenge people who saw themselves as pro-choice and asking themselves why the billboard made them uncomfortable and why do they think only certain abortions are acceptable or acceptable to talk about. This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. We're here to celebrate the incredible Natalie Wymore. So if you have not purchased your copy of the billboard, please do so after the event. Um, I'm going to bring up both the director and Natalie. We're also going to have a performance by two of the lovely actresses from the play that you'll see in June, July. You can get more information about that at the postcards on the front table at the entrance where you checked in. We will have a Q&A portion at the end of the evening, so I'll be floating around here with both my camera and index cards and pens. So if at any point during, just raise your hand, and hopefully I catch you in my periphery and then go ahead and get you set up with that. Um, and then afterwards, Natalie will sign books, which will be incredible. So thank you to those who purchased those in advance. And for the personalized copies, thank you for writing your name inside. Um, and then we'll have, you know, a little bit of time for people to schmooze and gather. Um, but without further ado, I want to introduce the director of the play, Teron Patton, and the writer, Natalie. This turnout on a Monday. All right, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling kind of special. Um, welcome everybody to being back in person, right? Um, this is really going to be informal, you know, heartwarm. Uh, you know, I want to say, I want to say, intimate. So please, you know, ask questions that you have because it, you know, I want to know. But more importantly, it helps us, you know, when we're dealing with something that's so personal. Right. So it really matters that, you know, you guys are honest about what you want to know. So um, I'm going to let turn this over to Natalie so she can let you all know a little bit more about the book, The Billboard. Yes. And then I'll set you guys up to tell you a little bit more about the scene. And then we will jump into a really, really intimate conversation about why and what we're doing. Is that all right with y'all? Yeah. Can I get some snaps? Can I get some snaps? All right. Everyone, with no further ado, it's Natalie Wymore. 
So again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Haymarket. Thank you, 16th Street Theater. Um, so the billboard is a play about abortion that's set in Englewood in 2018. And it's also set in city council race. And it also deals with urban angst. So there is uh, there are four characters in the book, and the male character is Demetrius Drew, who's running for city council, and he puts up an anti-abortion, anti-black woman billboard that says the most dangerous place for a black child is his mother's womb. Uh, keep Inglewood black. Vote for Demetrius Drew. <laughs> and there is a fictitious. Black Women's Health Center in Inglewood that does everything from diabetes screenings to abortions. And they decide to put up their own billboard, but their billboard ends up being more controversial than the first billboard because their billboard has three black women on it, smiling, looking like they had bottomless mimosas. And it frames abortion as self-care. And that's not language that we're used to hearing. And so it becomes a political battle because pro-choice people are offended by this. And because Inglewood has had population loss, now there's no correlation to abortion and population loss. But Demetrius Drew, um, who was a gadfly, um, if you're, yeah, so he... He makes those those links. So that's the, the premise. And then there, um, the two other characters are Kayla, who's 19. She's a program assistant at the Black Women's Health Initiative. And then there's Cheryl, who's the incumbent city council member. <laughs> the main character, Tanya. Okay. Yeah, Tanya is... <laughs> I was focusing on the actors who were here and so the other two women. Tanya would not be appreciative. So, I would not be on top of that. So first, first I'll talk about Dawn, who is the board chair of BWHI. And then Tanya is the founder and the executive director, and she is a doctor. And it's her idea to uh, put up the, the billboard. And uh, yeah, so it's like this intra-racial um, debate also about gender and patriarchy. And the book has a, a forward by Imani Perry and an afterword by the fabulous Jane Sachs, who's here in the audience. And then there's a Q&A. One thing that I learned is um, the reproductive justice movement started in Chicago in 1994. And one of the founders is Tony Bond and her archives are at the Vivian Harsh Collection at Chicago Public Library and they're they're great. And I did a Q&A with her. So there was a pro-choice conference and as sometimes black people do at these conferences, we find each other and we get together and they came up with their own agenda. And so reproductive justice is not just about pro-choice, it's the intersection of all sorts of things with healthcare and autonomy. Wow. <gasps> Come on, y'all. Y'all got them tickets. Y'all ready to get them? <laughs> so listen. So um, just to set you all up for the scene. So she gave you guys like, you know, the very nice way. I don't want to spoil it. I mean, I'm in. Okay, okay. That's my job, man. Okay. So, all right. So Chicago politics. <laughs> okay. 
say nothing else. Just put a pin in that, okay? And I will also say during the workshop, then yeah. Mom was like, uh-uh, you gotta make that sit. Uh-uh, you gotta make that harder. You gotta make that uh-huh. harder. You gotta make uh-huh. that harder. Uh-huh. 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 This is now shot. you know she would be really mad uh-huh. at that. This is yeah. a shot, okay? And so that's one of the things that I was what what attracted me to the play was that you had the situation that you created this incredible situation that everybody talks about in our living rooms, we know whatever, but we get a chance to see these incredible, powerful black women in leadership roles. Let's keep, come on, come on. In leadership roles, okay? Dealing with real things and dealing with it from all facets of sides of what that looks like. And so I'm gonna set you all up. So, you know, we are, we as women, white, black, whatever, we know about the power struggle, right? The pecking order, right, that happens um, when you have a dichotomy of women, right, and how that goes. And so in this scene, we have the incumbent 20-year alderman, city councilwoman, striving for bigger and better things, meeting with the executive, no, 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 sorry, president of the board for BHWI. They are going to deal with trying to figure out how um, they got to deal with this Demetrius Demetrius problem. What do you plan to do about yours? Keep serving the community. Keep the doors to Black Women's Health Initiative open. I asked you to coffee, Don, because we might be able to help each other. He's causing a lot of confusion and grief with his campaign. Councilwoman Lewis. Please. You're on a first name basis. Call Michelle. Okay. Sure. I appreciate your time. Um, I may not be from Chicago, but I know how politics work here. I personally donate to your campaign every election, even though I don't live in your ward. We don't object when you put pictures of the clinic on your website or campaign literature, but I'm not able to chair a fundraising committee for you. You're turning me down for something I didn't ask. Better to draw the baseline up front. That's not what I want. It's not why I'm here. We can be better allies. How? Demetrius has been biting in my ankle the my entire time in office. He shows up barking at ribbon cuttings. He protests construction sites. He also goes to the highest bidder. I know for a fact that he's been paid to protest development projects in the ward. His billboard was a gut punch. Injecting reproductive rights into a local election caught me by surprise and little surprises me after being in this job for 20 years. That troubled me too. I worry about the long-term damage. Exactly. I'm glad we agree. The 
long and hard this past week about what my own message to him should be. Abortion rights should not be threatened. And not from the two-bit race-hustling hustler. This is bigger than my re-election. I dove deep inside myself to come up with a way about how to respond. Came up with this. A city council resolution. Yes. The city of Chicago needs to let him know his tactics aren't tolerated here. Whereas the billboard targets black women in a black community using racist and sexist language by asserting they are having unintended pregnancies resulting in abortion to wipe out the black population in Whereas the harmful message of the billboard is misleading to black women and the entire city of Chicago. Therefore, be it resolved that we, the members of the city council, denounce this billboard and misinformation, ploy and call for Demetrius Drew and others attached to this campaign to stop vilifying black women. Wow. This is some strongly worded language. <laughs> but how can an incumbent councilwoman take on her opponent without seeming to be self-serving? Reproductive rights groups all over the city are enraged by the billboard. Most of the women in city council are too. I found a few to sponsor this resolution through the Human Rights Commission. All I have to do is say yay during roll call. We can't force him to take down the billboard, but we can symbolically tear him down. What do you want from me? BWHI. Nothing. But I know all the attention on BWHI. I must be hard. I'm serious when I say that I care about reproductive rights. Really? Abortion isn't anyone's damn business. But women shouldn't feel ashamed either. I had an abortion when I was five months pregnant. Not because I wanted to, but I was at risk of having a stroke and organ failure. I was told I would die. And the baby would die too. And abortion saved my life. And is very much a part of my story. When I see Demetrius's billboard, I put aside that he's my political foe. I see an uninformed man using his platform to chip away at women's rights on a matter that don't have shit to do with running city government. Thank you for sharing. And Thank you for back-channeling this through City Council. See? I'm not a shady politician. <laughs> I'm here for BWHI. See? <laughs> All right. 
now that we have set this up, um, I mean, you and I have talked over the last year about this, but, um, you know, I, I've always wondered, why, why abortion? Uh, yeah, it wasn't something that I intended to do. I was working on another play from 16th Street Theater. Um, former artistic director who's here, Ann Filmer, uh, commissioned me. I had another idea. Maybe that idea will happen one day. Um, and I took a class at Chicago Dramatists for playwriting to see if I could really do this thing. And we had a homework assignment to write about an object. So a little inside baseball about plays is plays have an urgency that you don't see in novels or even television. If you think about plays, something or someone is showing up. So just reflect on the last play, like Gem of the Ocean. I know many of you probably saw it, but the guy shows up in the house and it disrupts. So, and sometimes it's an object that shows up. So we were supposed to write about an object. Those type of billboards had been in Chicago and I covered um, them as a, as a reporter. And there really was a city council resolution, but it, it didn't really pick up steam. Um, you know, it didn't become a, a citywide issue. And in Dallas, uh, there was an anti-abortion billboard that went up by the same guy who did it in Chicago in 2011. And there was a Dallas clinic that put up a self-care billboard. And I remember thinking, whoa, like I just, again, had never seen that. My, my reaction, I was like, why do I even have that reaction? It's not a big deal. But, you know, part of changing the narrative means you have to challenge yourself. And so uh, I was like, you know, this, this would be good. And I called a friend of mine who is a midwife and works for a reproductive justice center in uh, Memphis. And we just talked it out. And she's like, I knew that billboard was going to be controversial. I don't know if they should have done it, but I understand. And so that conversation helped me write this four page scene. And I sent it to Anne. I was like, okay, I think I can, you know, write a play. And also writing scripts for WBEZ, even though that's nonfiction, is very similar to playwriting because you're writing for the ear. So the transition uh, was not really difficult. I'm not saying playwriting is easy, but I had some tools already. And so I sent Anne that assignment. She was like, I don't tell you, I don't want to tell you what to write, but I think that this should be your play. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me. Um, and the scene was between Dawn and Tanya about the billboard coming up and you know what what to do next. So uh, and then we just kept workshopping it and then you came on board and more workshopping. And uh, that's how we, now when I was writing this, I began it in uh, 2018. And I remember it was the, the weekend that Ntozaki Shange died. So there is a uh, reference to for colored girls uh, on the first page. That's a homage to her. Um, I did not think that Roe v. Wade was about to be overturned. <laughs> Um, I think abortion can always be timely. Um, I didn't know it was going to be as urgent as it is now in this moment. Those seeds, right? I was just, I was talking to someone about this and I was like, you know, I don't think either one of us really, at the time that we started, it was just, I know for me, it was more about the characters and the opportunity to show, you know, women in leadership roles and then in, in Chicago, like everything about it was just timed perfectly. 
But I don't think at that time we really understood the explosion that was going to happen. But, and I know your grandmama probably said it too, everything happens for a reason, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, so, I mean yeah. it shouldn't even be surprised because we saw different states chipping away at abortion. This was the strategy. And then Illinois being, you know, an island <laughs> of uh, having the most expansive rights protecting abortion. So I knew that there was always a narrative that needed to be told and that there was still currency in the issue. But I mean, when this play comes out, the Supreme Court likely will have invalidated Roe v. Wade. I I can't believe they were saying that, right? Um, And I've always wondered I mean, abortion is nationwide. You could have you could have set this anywhere, but you set it in England. Why England? Well, of course, it's gonna be in Chicago. So I mean, I'm Chicago all day, everything. Um, I'm trying. To, I don't. I'm trying to think why I put it in Inglewood, and we got some Inglewood folks in the house tonight. Um, I think that. I wanted to set it there because of the city council race and thinking about contested space. And there has been the population loss there. So I thought, okay, this is a neighborhood that someone like Demetrius would latch on to this. Um, And I mean, there are a number of South side neighborhoods that are dealing with development, but there's something about Inglewood that just seemed like the, the perfect place. And I've also seen people show up protesting <laughs> in Inglewood um, at development. And it's like, why are you here? And I'm pretty sure that they were paid operatives. Um, so I, I think I saw some, I mean, not this exact tension, but I have seen some, some tension in Inglewood around who is the community for. And I remember when Whole Foods opened in 2016, even when it was announced in 2013. Um, and this wasn't even from people in the community. So many outsiders like, well, that's not for us. That's not for black people. I was like, but that's but black people live there. Like, why isn't it for you? And sometimes we, even in black communities, because we've suffered from so much disinvestment, we take on a deficit mentality that, oh, that bike lane, that's not for us. That park, that's not for us. I understand the skepticism because there's been urban renewal, Negro removal, and a host of bad policies. Um, But I feel like this tension has played out, at least from my reporting experience, more in Englewood than other communities. Speaking of your experience, I mean, this is book number four, right? This is book number four. Uh, Is it different? You know, with it being book number four and it being a play, then, you know, something that's literary, you know, because I read your first book and I was like, what is this girl? <laughs> but she grew up. You know, I was, I read your book like that. And then, so now you've decided to do a play. Is it, is it, what are the, what's different about it? What's been that experience of, you know, going from one type of literary to another? Because that's one thing that I know I've found in conversation that, when you talk about plays, people forget that plays are literary. That is what it is. It is the spoken word. 
So have you found it to be a difference, you know, in the experience? Yeah. And and when this came to Haymarket, they it wasn't even finished and they read it and loved it and felt like it was a cultural piece and that it was reading as I don't want to say something more significant. I mean, most plays aren't published by trade presses. Um, so I think that I do think that it's a little hard to place right now. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the play. The, the book as the hype machine for when the actual performance happens. Um, I mean, not to sound whiny, but like the reception is so much different from the South side. <laughs> like I have gotten zero local coverage. Um, yeah, zero local press so far. And it's been out for almost a week. And I think that will change. And I think the momentum will happen. But yeah, it's a little, I mean, I was in my feelings a little bit last week. Like this, like, is anyone going to care about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that speaks to, you know, a culture we're trying to stop or, you know, an area that we really need to make some change in. And that is that plays are literary. Theater is literary. And that, you know, when you talk about something intellectual and, you know, it's, it's lit, you know, you think literary book, right? And people are like, oh yeah. But you say play, people kind of go, Okay, you know, or, or, or there seems to be a, a slowness in it. And so um, I, I just can tell you for me, when I read the play, um, we talked about this. When I read it, it, it had me, like, echo, you know. And I'm one of those people that in my career, I've been around for a while. <laughs> and um, in my career, I don't really want to do anything that doesn't make my heart beat. I don't want to do anything that I can't put myself 100% into. And your piece does, did that for me. I wanted to direct it. I wanted to produce it. Because I wanted to make sure that it happened. Because it, it you know, from a book to a play, I mean, I've done this before with Stick Fly, Lady of Diamond, Congo Square, I'm announced Humble Member of Congo Square, so I know the process. So it had everything, you know, to me that said, yeah, this, this, this has got stuff. Um, how has it been working with, you know, uh, going from working with um, where it's you, your thoughts or whatever, and now, you know, I come in and, you know, me and my, me and my, and my uh, uh, you and the dramaturg. Me and the dramaturg. Yeah, you know, we came there. How, what was that like? Well, I deal with an editor, so that, that I mean, when I was first writing this, I was like, there's no editor here. Like, what? How, how, this, how does this work? Like, <laughs> there's no editor? But the workshop, so we did, like, I did, we did workshopping. So a workshop is a table read where you get actors. And so I did it when I was a third done. And then you get feedback. And in some ways, that's like radio. So like our big radio projects, you do a group edit. And that really comes from this, uh, it's a this American lifestyle. But it's so subjective because you could have five people in that edit who think differently and then you do another and then they they feel something. So you take it for what it's, what it's worth. So I'm used to critique and criticism. So that wasn't hard in, in getting feedback. And those sessions were good to help me think about, like at one of those table reads, someone said, you should have a a debate scene between Cheryl and Demetrius. <laughs> I was like, that's a good idea. So there is a city council debate and, and uh, a campaign debate. Um, 
so yeah, that all that was was very helpful. And and the table reads, I mean, they just bring like James Vincent Meredith from Steppenwolf did three table reads. And like the first time he read, I just thought my heart was gonna jump out of my skin, <laughs> my body. Cause it was like, this is what I imagined. And then some, but he's not even like he's just reading. Okay. Um Sherilyn Bruce did two readings. And you know, Veranda was in the the workshop for a week. Um, my youngest stepdaughter played Kayla many times, um, and and that helps. So all of that brings it alive. So then when, um, so I thought so a drama. So I secretly wanted to be a dramaturg because <laughs> I didn't realize that they were two different. The, the dramaturg that I that I had thought about being, and this is just like a you know a secret silly passion. Um, dramaturgs make sure that everything is in order. So I'll just tell this quick story. When I saw the Color Purple musical here in Chicago, I was like, they didn't have a dramaturg here because it's 1930 and they are eating Chinese food out of takeout Chinese boxes saying this Chinese food is so good. You can't get takeout Chinese food in rural Georgia today. So I was so distracted. <laughs> I was like, there's no dramaturg here. And then they kept saying that it kept calling Shook Avery a hoe. I was like, that word wasn't used back then. They would have said whore. I was like, I want to be a dramaturg. Yeah, get it. To get it. To get it. To get yeah, it. to get it right. So they helped with the, you know, like they worked with the director and, you know, all of that. But then there's a literary dramaturg, and that's where Kamisha came in, and that, and then she became my editor. And I was like, okay, I can't, I'm not, I'm not rewriting this anymore. I'm done. So we had a week of intense workshopping about a year ago on Zoom. And it was like, you know, I mean, she had all these notes and it was intense. And then you're like, you have to do this. And I did most of it. Sometimes I was like, no, I mean, you can, you can push back, but I mean, I'm, I'm not a diva writer who's like, you can't change my words. So I want my, I mean, everybody needs an editor. I want it to be better. I know that the draft is not, although I kept saying, you know, this is like my fifth draft. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I know. I, I know what I'm, and we were like, well, you know, I think the, the reason that one of the things when we first talked and I said, we have to have a dramaturg. Like that was one of the first things that. First thing I said, I was like, and I asked that. I was like, I want a dramaturg. Because a literary dramaturg is going to make sure that the play does all the things that a play should do in terms of conflict and, con you know, mm -hmm. subtext and, and build and making it a story. What's the payoff? What's the Did payoff? Do this? Like all these questions. And so, you know, <laughs> that's when you start getting into all of that. And now it was like, what? Oh, okay, and, but I will tell you, she was like the quickest editor or, or, or rewriter that I've ever worked with. Because <laughs> I, I like she would, we would be like gone out of the workshop, and then it'd be like, okay, next it's there. <laughs> what did you? Oh, okay. All right, you know, because she like you said from your experience from working with it. Um, but it was a good. I mean, yeah. all of that push. So I'm very happy with it, and. All of that was was necessary. Yeah, and I think too that like uh, one of one of the things that I've always wanted to know, and this is just me, it, a personal thing for me. Like I always ask people when they say, you know, they want to work with me, why? Mm -hmm. You know, because I think it's important that you know why a person is. 
I know why I want to work with you, but why me? Because I love your work. <laughs> Boom, next question. No. <laughs> I knew that you were multi, I don't know if I had ever seen anything that you directed. Probably, I'm, I'm just not remembering. Yeah. Um, but I knew that you were someone who did multi, like you act, you produce, you are an arts administrator. So that well-roundedness, I thought would would serve. Um, I, I just can't think of what I know that you have directed. I'm just thinking about the what I've seen you before. Well, you know what's so funny about it is that, you know, going from an artist to an administrator is, is a leap. You know, being on stage and being that person that everybody's coming to see and then being that person that makes sure that you have some place to go see it. <laughs> it, it, it's two different seats, you know, and I've, and I've had the experience of sitting in both. And so that was another thing about the play that really grabbed me because there is a, uh, a dichotomy of what you all see and then how you get to see it. <laughs> right? And I think that your, your play really does a great job of giving enough of a backdrop of Chicago politics and elections. I mean, I don't know if any other city, maybe New York, but we have had some of the most scandalous <laughs> elections. <laughs> you know, we can go back all the way to the 20s. We've had these kind of hot and, you know, really, you know, public elections. Um, so when you said a council went, you know, the council, I was like, yeah, definitely. And in Inglewood. But, but I, I knew I wanted a black, like the non-negotiable was a black woman, preferably someone who was from Chicago who would know like that knowledge that you just said, oh, this corruption goes back so, so far. So um, that wasn't a deal breaker, but that was my, my preference that someone who, and then if you didn't see her, she played Marion Stamps in her honor, Jane Burns. So of course she knows politics. <laughs> um. Do you have any questions for me? Like, I'm up here asking all these questions. Slip it. You got some questions for me? Is there anything you want to know? Well, I'll, you know, just to talk a little bit more about the, the process. Um, see, a lot of people ask me, well, how involved are you going to be? You're going to be at rehearsals. You're going to be at auditions. You're going to be. I was like, I trust her and I'm, I'm not going to be that playwright sitting there giving notes. <laughs> um, but the, the one thing is that there is a multimedia element. Social media is very prominent in the play. And so the way I wrote it was someone could, like, it's like, director, do what you want to do here. Um, you know, if it's a projector, if it's soundscaping, I don't know. But like, that's how I kind of bring the, the reactions from the city and from the neighborhood at different points. Um, and... I also did that because you want the director to feel like they have some ownership to do some things with it. Um, so I want to know, like, what is your vision for some of the multimedia aspects? Okay, let me tell you what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, because I did Your Honor, Mayor Byrne with Nikki Brooks, um, if you saw Your Honor, Mayor Byrne, the multimedia was just amazing. Um, and so I have worked with it when it works. Right. And then I have worked with it when it didn't. Right. And when it becomes upstaging. And so one of the things that I want to do with the multimedia is make it more uh, intimate. Right. 
so that what they're seeing, you see. And what they're saying or that they're choosing not to say, you see. Right? Because in life, that's, you know, what happens. If you go to Facebook and you scroll, you can choose the good stuff, but there's some stuff you may not be able to say, right, that people have sent you. So using it in that aspect, also bringing people into the climate of what we just talked about, of, of, you know, 2018, the things that are happening politically now and the things that were, how it started in 2018, making those connections of then and now, there's a lot of it, like you just said, we're talking about it being overturned. In 2018, you know, we, we wouldn't have said that. So making making that parallel. And then the debate, you know, um, I hate debates. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I hate them. I hate them for so many reasons because, oh, I'd rather have a town hall where we could ask them what we want to ask them as opposed to somebody up there saying it and they get to do a monologue and all of that. And I always walk away with I still ain't going to vote for me one of y'all. <laughs> y'all ain't really asking none of my questions, you know? But using multimedia to make it where it's more for the people, right? So the debate is going to be less of a debate as much as more as a town hall so that it it's basically the debate of my fantasy. <laughs> right? <laughs> Teron's fantasy debate. Uh, with all the fireworks. Uh, and the other thing is the technical aspects. I'm really big on sound. I'm really big on um, um, reverberation of, you know, th- this loop that we're having right now. Like, this moment in time right now will never, ever, ever happen again. Because we will never, all of us in this room, be like this at this moment, like this ever again. So this is timeless, right? And so making every audience experience that and know that their experience that they had that day was just for them. So those are the ways that that they walk away going, I ain't doing nothing next Saturday. I'm coming back. I can't talk about it because they wasn't here. So now I got to go get them and come back so we can talk about it because they can't talk about it. So those are the kind of things that I want to do with the multi- media, you know, things. Um, hmm, hmm. <laughs> Whatever we can do with the budget, because, you know, you let me lose. When I, you know, there's, you know in, in the Broadway version, <laughs> when we get there, uh, you know, we will actually have something a couple of decimals less than January 6th, but not too many. Like, really creating how politics can get us as a people so fighting that we do something that we never thought we would do because it's so political and it's so hot and it happens in that moment. I don't think it's planned, but there's something about a riot or the chaos of it that erupts into something, the rise of 65. You know, we have these moments. And so I really want to show how the role between the constituents and politics and such and such a topic as abortion can take us as a people to a place of being uncontrollable 
and there being an unact, unconscionable act of violence that affects us that we didn't plan. Okay. <laughs> I think we can. <laughs> If you're enjoying the Haymarket Live series, you'll also be interested in a new book from Haymarket, Angela Davis, an autobiography. Featuring a substantial new introduction by the author, Angela Davis, an autobiography is a classic account of a life in struggle. Angela Davis has been a political activist at the cutting edge of the black liberation, feminist, queer, and prison abolitionist movements for more than 50 years. First published and edited by Toni Morrison in 1974, Angela Davis and Autobiography is a powerful and commanding account of her early years of political activity. With warmth, brilliance, humor, and conviction, Davis describes her journey from a childhood on Dynamite Hill in Birmingham, Alabama, to one of the most significant political trials of the century. From her political activity in a New York high school to her work with the U.S. Communist Party, the Black Panther Party, and the Soledad Brothers, and from the faculty of the Philosophy Department at UCLA to the FBI's list of the 10 most wanted fugitives. Find Angela Davis, an autobiography, at haymarketbooks.org. I think we can take, start with questions yeah. I just, you know, I want to, you know, I know as people are writing and everything, but, you know, because it is such a um, a controversial topic and things like that, I'm always curious as to, um, I'm going to ask a hard question. What don't you like about plays or movies that deal with controversial issues? What is something that's like, that gets on my nerves? Anybody? Um, I don't like when the opposing view of, of whatever the query the view that people that the author wants to put in the spot on, the opposing view, those people always look like monsters. They always look like if if they have an opposite opinion. And I'm not talking about they're clearly trying to hurt people there, <laughs> but they have an opposite opinion. They somehow look very much demonized, which is weird to me because we all have an opposite opinion on everything. <laughs> so I always think that that bothers me. Um, it's supposed to just mean something that maybe uh, they, they either like enlightenment on or they're just not very opposite view in the story. <laughs> Anybody else? I'm sorry. I don't like when people go much. Uh, if it's gonna be controversial, be controversial. <laughs> Bring it. Hey. <laughs> and the whole thing. All that. I'm gonna say what it is. Okay, you got Sydney. You had Sydney. I don't know what they, I mean. They they made love Demetrius Drew and see a hero in him. But I actually, I mean, the, the tagline that Haymarket has written on this is that this is more than pro-choice, pro-life. I think the most nuanced part 
of the debate is within the pro-choice community, like pro-choice versus reproductive justice, which are cousins, but two different things. So I think that that's where the nuance comes in because it's going to, I think, challenge people who saw themselves as pro-choice and asking themselves why the billboard made them uncomfortable and why do they think only certain abortions are acceptable or acceptable to to talk about and if people like people who know me well know that I love soap opera so I found a way to like put in all my children in the intro because Erica Kane was the first person to have an abortion on TV after Roe v. Wade. It was not Maude. Everyone talks about Maude. People forget that soaps were so much more socially progressive on issues. Um, and she had an abortion because she did not want a baby. It wasn't because she had circumstances. She wanted to further her modeling career and she was married and she had an abortion. And those aren't the kinds of and, and that can still feel uncomfortable. Like, wow, like, how could you do that? But it's still her right to do that. And so those, I think those, that's the nuance that comes in with a lot of the debate. Um, so Toya asked, please talk about what you discovered during the rewrite or layered in after your first draft. Um, I would say during the workshop and those questions that were asked, I mean, one was... I mean, one thing that in, I would say even in like radio script, like narrative podcasting um, or, uh, you know, audio stories is have you set what the stakes are? And I feel like that's not really how you, you know, might think in, not that I've written a novel, so I'm maybe speaking out of turn, but I feel like with audio and with plays, it's like the stakes. What are the stakes? What are the stakes? What are the stakes? Um, so I had that mentality, but like the, the payoff wasn't something that I had thought about. Um, even the scene that we saw, that was a scene that I had, but Tehran was like, that's got to be moved up higher because we've established that this city council member wants to help. But then they go and do this billboard and didn't tell her. And I didn't have that in the order. And so that brings another layer of tension because of what her reaction ends up being. So conflict. Yeah. So it's always like, I think I had enough conflict. It was like, no, more conflict. I would say one thing that I did do too, you know, in the writing process is put more drama in than you think that you need, like just pack it and then pull it back. So um, one thing that is, that was in the play that we, that, that was taken out and I wasn't wedded to it, but I was like, well, let's just have more drama that Tanya had an abortion from Demetrius in high school. <laughs> See, now we went a whole it's like you're doing too much. And then I was like, and then Demetrius is gonna be Kayla's uncle, and she didn't tell anybody. <laughs> doing tea too much. Because well, I will. Because 
you didn't want this to be a battle between two people that it because then it became more personal than issue based. And because I was like, but Demetrius didn't know. Tanya didn't tell me. Your best friend told me I knew all along. And that's why he's been coming at her because he's mad. (laughs) And I'm all for not, I mean, because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, let me just kitchen sink it. And then, because that's what I mean, writing is rewriting. So I threw in drama and then we tried to finish. And I was like, you know what, just. And, well, then, and, then, and then Kayla and Demetri was like, you don't need to be her uncle. But I but I mean honestly, that's but that's that's the part of it that makes it art, right? Because you came in and you gave me, you gave you just went all in, and then you come and you carve it. That's where it you, you know, it, it gets down to the masterpiece, right, of, of what it is. Okay, next question. Okay. Because the billboards are such an important visual themes for the play, how will you integrate the text and images in? So, we are going to use projections for that. We are in the northwestern space, which is perfect for what we're going to The downtown. downtown. They have a new yeah, theater. The new, downtown. Wait, let me click the new. Northwestern Theater downtown at 700 uh, Lakeshore Drive. And so they, there's so much depth in there. So we're going, I'm going to create that element of when you're intimate and then when when it's like to give that that depth, especially with the billboard in particular. The billboards are as much a part of the set and the world as anything. Because, um, and I love that you went into the whole thing about 59th and Hostel. I don't know if anybody knows about 59th and Hostel, but there is like two, like billboards <laughs> right at the intersection of 59th and Hostel. So I want to create that corner, right? So that you always see it, right? As the catalyst for what all this is, but then also give it enough depth and levels to where we can create all these internal and external places with very minimalistic um, effects in terms of set. And for me, uh, I like the minimalistic sets because, okay, I'm just going to be vain. <laughs> if I'm on stage and you're looking at the set, then I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. If you act for me, I want it. I want you acting. I want, I want it all. I want those people to be transposed by your performance and that the set is to help you create that world. So I'm not into the whole walls moving and, you know, it's great in Broadway I mean, it's part of it or whatever, <laughs> but I have walked out of shows and the only thing I could talk about at dinner was the clothes and the set. <laughs> Nothing wrong with costumes, wrong. Costume, I don't know how I am. You know, I, if it was up to me, I'd be naked. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'd be naked. You know what I'm But I'm saying that those elements should assist and not be what it is. So, I'm really into the South African style directing, mm-hmm. of it being more of storytelling from the artists themselves where you could do it anywhere. You don't need a set. I could take this own 59th and hospital <laughs> right? to a group of people and give them your beautiful words. Okay. And 
they still be able to get it. How are you preparing for controversial views or responses to the topic? Hmm. I know how to fight. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I, I think, you know, being a journalist, which is a public facing role, like I get, I mean, I get call names on Twitter. I get bad emails. Um, I mean, my first book, Deconstructing Tyrone, sometimes people who, mostly because of people who don't read. So like <laughs> with Tyrone, who didn't read the book, people would show up asking me and my co-author, Natalie Hopkinson, who are you to write this book? Did you read like they have? And I just, I just shut them down with, you know, nice, not even just, did you read it? Or the Blackstone book. Oh man, who are who are you to write this? Did you get permission from Jeff Ford? I was like, well, he wrote me letters. Oh, like you're not even high ranking. Like, I, why, why are you even talking to me? Uh, so, I mean, I've had very tense book readings, like really, really tense. Like where I mean, when the Blackstone book came out, it was a little while I was like looking over my shoulder at the gate, you know, coming home because um, I had to block some people. I mean, there there is like a nation state mentality and it was like you have no right to have done this um so i think that i'm primed i mean this is this is different and sometimes you don't even know what's going to be kind like you can think about i've got this covered i've got this and then someone comes at you for something that you weren't even thinking about so um i just think experience will you know help me be able to answer I also think questions. Too, I, I think um, because you wrote how, you, how you've written it, though, I feel like um, you you negated that. Do you know what I'm saying? I think we would run into that more if it was one sided. You know, I think because it's even. I feel it's even. Uh, people will, if anything, be a lot more open to. Hearing that POV because they don't have to, they, it, they get the comfort of watching it. Um, and I also think too, you know, I'm, I, I know that in the program, I'm going to be very, very, in terms of my statement to the audience, I'm going to be very, very honest about I'm not doing this for your permission. I'm not, I don't need no commentary. You know what I'm saying? This is not for you to judge. This just is, you know? So come come with that energy to it, you know? And if you come with anything other than that, you know, then you're going to miss something really beautiful. So come with an open mind to this, regardless of where you stand on it. Just respect it for what it is. And I think if you can do that in the floor, if people can see that, I mean, I'm plan on probably having like a little something when you walk in so you can read it so that people walk in knowing that I'm expecting because I'm going to tell y'all something in this play the audience is very much involved y'all are the town y'all are the town y'all are (laughs) every day so there are things that are going to be happening around you that include you you know and you know in theater you got to be careful with that Right, because you get that one and think they're really in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right, 
Like, you be like, I ain't giving you no check. You ain't getting no check. So sit down. <laughs> so cut it out. I know you equity. Uh-uh. Shut up. Because you're not getting a check. <laughs> but I do want that feeling of being a part of. Because I think that that, I mean, I'm even, you know, playing with, I don't know, I'm going to say how far it is, but like doing something a little extra with the curtain call that links the audience and the people in the play and the area, you know, to when you walk out so that you know that regardless of where you live, whether it's Inglewood, whether it's Northside, whatever, in Chicago, we are a community, right? We don't agree on everything. But we do have to respect everyone, you know? And if we can do that with a controversial topic, it's this. And walk out friends, or at least walk out respecting one another. Then why can't we take that out into the world and do that for real? Because this violence in Chicago is running me out. And I think it's going to take all of us to... Not just talk about it, but a slight change that all of us make universally. We can change the city into back to what it needs to be. It just takes a little bit. It's not going to be a lot of effort. What you're doing in that play, if you just take that with you and do it in your life, I just think there'll be a lot less of this chaos. What are the details for the show? June 23rd through July 17th. 16th Street Theater producing, but it will be at the Works Performing Arts Center at Northwestern on 701 North Lakeshore. And for the folks here, there are postcards um, at the front. Um, so this one, I'm having a little hard time with the handwriting of abortion and the loss of bodily autonomy is not yet can someone who wrote this I'm not sorry it's okay actually it goes back to the question you asked earlier about working not like oh okay okay and one of the questions I want to ask is um, with with an issue like this there is very strong feelings on one side or the other and with this, what, how you do sort of create that alchemy around what art does is that it sort of says, it's what is it, what questions do we ask ourselves at the end of this? You know, what, is, what is left unanswered? And um, with the um, statement you said about uh, violence, the, the uh, unconscionable violence, is that with this issue, which is sort of kind of bubbling around under the surface with all of us, and it hasn't reached that point yet of being unconscionable violence. We haven't seen people rising up around this. So what is going to be activated? How do you see this play activating that uh, consciousness within the culture? That that what questions will people leave with that are maybe on the slightly ambiguous side? Like, what is it about us as people? Mm. 
I don't really think about those things. Um, I mean, I get asked variations like, what do you want people, if anymore, what do you want people to get out of it? What do you want? Like, people are so different. And when I'm writing in particular, I cannot think about audience because then you start adapting. And I can tell you, my work has reached audiences that I never thought would be interested. But if I had gone in there thinking, I want to hit this demographic or this group, then I wouldn't have been authentic. So, you know, I'm a storyteller who does it in different mediums. I'm not an activist. Um, And I think what I, probably the, the mantra that a lot of journalists have is, we don't tell people what to think, we tell them what to think about. So that's my, that's typically my framework. And mine, and I would say as a director, I, I want them to ask the questions. Do you know what I mean? If you walk out asking any questions, we've done our job. Because I think right now, if I just have a statement and I just have how I feel, then I'm not open to any questions. But if I walk out asking myself questions about my stance on it or what that other person's point of view is, if I've been exposed to it in a way that's personal, like you said, and not just one-sided, whatever questions they come out with, that's what it is. Those are the things that, that that's what I want people to do so that in the moment of when we get to this point, because it's coming, hopefully we'll think first about that group that's protesting that point of view has a point of view and doesn't have to be fixed because it doesn't agree with what I think. And I think hopefully that'll de-escalate time and the explosion. Because I don't really think that this country can survive another thing to erupt into violence. I don't think we can. And so, you know, I think it's timely that this play is happening at this time, right before this big thing is happening. And that's the beauty of art and then how it mirrors its time. I mean, you know, I don't know if Natalie believes in, the, in divine intervention, but I do. And I believe that the ancestors, God, whatever you believe in, gave her this story. I believe that too. I believe that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and I feel blessed and highly favored that I'm going to be the first person to direct it and be a part of it. And I thank you for that. Well, I think, I mean, Tehran, yeah. she's like, I am committed to this no matter what. And I'm going to see it through. And it's going to go somewhere when it leaves here. And I'm going to just be here. So it is great to have this collaboration. Um, so the final question, are you familiar with Alicia Wormsley's There Are Black People in the Future Billboard? I didn't know the artist's name, but I have seen that um, that billboard. I wasn't thinking about that with, with this, but billboards, I, I mean, there are lots of artists that use like public buildings and billboards to get their message that I think is um, pretty cool. So I am going to sign books. We have some snacks and some wine. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel.
where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.